listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. I just found out that Mike Flanagan built a cabin in the woods. Hey, Melina, do you know what kind of lumber he used? No, Brad, what kind of lumber does Mike Flanagan use? Monologues. <laughs> God damn it, I actually like that one. <laughs> okay, that is well, well, a well. terrible dad joke that's actually kind of great. <laughs> Hello, yes, Bradley Martin here with the Screener Squad, and we're closing out spooky, scary season with Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher. Roderick Usher, alone with nothing left but his billions of dollars in assets, has called long relationship attorney (laughs) C. Auguste Dupin played by the excellent Carl Lumbilly, to discuss and confess to the fall of his house, the house ushered. Well, and murder. He says he's going to tell him about murder as well. And the other 72 indictments. Will the murder be most foul? This series is based... On Edgar Allan Poe's works, we have a total of eight episodes that feature some Easter eggs from The Raven, Pit and the Pendulum, some Goldbug, which I've never heard of, The Telltale Heart, The Black Cat, Murder in the Rue Morgue, The Mask of the Red Death, which I want to say is his most popular work, and a midnight dreary. Well, a midnight dreary is a that's a line from the Raven, right? That's the pilot. It's the episode. opening line. Once upon a midnight dreary. Yep. Yeah. Anyone who's seen the first nightmare or the first Treehouse of Horrors episode of The Simpsons and I watches it say, annually. Eat my shorts, Bart. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Those are both very good impressions. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was um, Darth Vader. Why don't I remember Mufasa's real name? What's wrong Edgar- with me? James, James Earl, Earl Jones. Jones. James Earl Jones narrates The Raven. So check it out on Disney+. Plus. This is on Netflix, though. So we are told immediately with really gruesome montage newspaper snippets and uh, I'd say like quick footage of all the deaths deaths of Roderick's ushers poor children the ushers are the sacklers let's just mm-hmm. yeah well i didn't want to be so obvious it's but yes. blatantly it's obvious they're the sacklers uh, but yes and uh, the fall of the house of usher the storyline very much falls in with the original story one of the first lines mentions 
that of the lineage of the House of Usher, uh, Roderick and Madeline are the last two and that all the other branches have been cut. So this, this series focuses on how exactly all those branches got cut. <laughs> and yeah, if you're listening to this and you're screaming spoiler, I am pretty sure that that is revealed within the trailer. If not, it's oh, within wow. the first yeah. two minutes. If, if not, then it, okay. it is within the first two or so minutes of this show that it is revealed that, yes, in fact, all of the children have died. And also, Edgar Allan Poe wrote this story over a hundred years ago. Um, if you don't know it by now, there's been enough time. <laughs> <laughs> it's in uh, audiobook, print, and graphic novel. Which I've read the graphic novel and uh, really enjoyed it. Very, very spooky. Very creepy. So we have a bunch of ushers that are dead. Frederick Usher by Henry Thomas. Tamerlane Usher by Samantha Sloyan, who is my MVP from Midnight Mass, another Flanagan film. Oh, my God. Uh, film my series. My favorite person to hate. <laughs> <laughs> right? Leo Usher by Rahul Kohli who is kind of turning into an A-lister, if you ask me. I know. Put him in the MCU, for God's sake. Right? Morella Usher, played by Crystal Bellant. Then we have Lenore, who is also uh, Frederick Usher's daughter, who is just kind of caught up in the middle of this generational trauma and uh, wickedness, I'll say for short. And then we have... Uh, yeah, Roderick's new young fun wife, Juno, played by Ruth Codd, if I'm not mistaken. And she's just all kinds of fantastic. But like Lenore, kind of also seems caught up in something that is much bigger, not than her understanding. But you know how billionaires, they kind of lie to your face and just want to make say, well, I want a billionaire wants to make who they love happy and. Sometimes the person who wants to be made happy ignores every all the red flags. That's kind of where she's at. Also, I find it interesting, and maybe this is reading into it a little too much, because this series is full of Easter eggs. Like, Brad mentioned a whole bunch of them that are only based on the titles of the episodes, but they are chock full of references to both... Poe's work and to his life. And the thing about Juno is that Juno is thought to come from the poem Eureka, which was Poe's last work. And he, she is his last wife and the finality of it. And part of me is like, wait, am I reading into it a little bit much? But if you know Poe and you are interested in his work, um, you will do that the entire time of watching this. You'll be like, okay, how is this a reference to Poe's work and how is it carried out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like if you have that little light bulb moment with a character or with a storyline, if you're asking yourself, is that what I think it is? Odds are the answer is yes. Yes. It's just a matter of how. Yeah, like you were saying, I mean, there are so many, I mean, there are entire episodes that are, for the most part, broadly based on some of his more popular stories, you know, like you were saying, The Mask of the Red Death, Raven, uh, Telltale Heart, and whatnot. Uh, but what Mike Flanagan does 
that he's, I think, done with all of his best work, most of which are adaptations of classic literature, is not only does he take it and mesh it with other stories from that author's uh, library, but he will come and he'll put his own spin on it, where he's like, I'm going to take the basis, I'm going to take the basics and the uh, the foundation of the story, and I'm going to use it to talk about something very important in the modern world. And of course, here, it really is about corporate greed and just how far you can go with that to the extent of just completely destroying your morality. No, Which, absolutely. if you're wondering where the Mike Flanagan, t- like, where does the Mike Flanagan emotional gut wrench come in, which he does in every single one of them, that is exactly where it is. Which is basically watching these people just become monsters for the sake of just having a buck that they don't need. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and there's thing. actually, and and there is a blatant reference to that because one of the things I really liked about about it is the Raven. Um, and how the Raven is used throughout every single episode. It's like once I realized that, oh, this is meant to be the Raven and how the Raven influences everything, I'm like, bravo. But like one of the things that the Raven does is she mentions that if one of the characters, um, it was essentially like the Berenice reference that if one of the characters hadn't gone down this path of evil corporate greed, uh, they would have been a dentist. And it's just like, so there are, rep- and, and also apparently Ro- uh, Roderick, if he hadn't gone down that path, he would have been a poet. And so it's just like, there are references to, you had a chance to not be evil, but you chose to be evil. Right. Which, yeah, that's kind of the other great mission statement of this series is, you know what, it really does not matter what, life has thrown at you in the past it's like we have all come through trauma we have all experienced hardships it is never an excuse to do something knowingly evil and doing something knowingly and knowingly exploiting other people basically i feel like i walked away from this show being told i felt like i was being told the lesson you know what doesn't matter what has happened to you it's never too late to do the right thing. And it's never, there's never an excuse to knowingly do the wrong one or knowingly make the wrong one. I mean, you know, the fact that they have Lenore for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore as just that throughout the entire thing. It's like, here's proof right here. And her being the character where it's kind of like, even you, this wonderful, uh, this, this wonderful and, kind of you know light in this you know cesspool of darkness you're still having to pay the price for what all of these people around you have done right which i'm like me you know all of us sitting here as you know millennials sitting here just being like god damn it baby boomers why did you do this to us (laughs) corporate greed (laughs) and full circle Uh uh-huh well, you know, I'm always interested in being a part of corporate greed. I also wanted to mention uh, we forgot. Sorry, I forgot one of the ushers. He's the youngest usher in the Mask of the Red Death episode. He just wants to be an influencer 
and change the world, but really, you know, he wants that personality. He doesn't actually want to change anything. He wants to have a bunch of orgies, take a lot of drugs, live fast and hard. Well, he's King Prospero. Mate. That's who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah, his name is the spoiler. Yeah, it's like, right. you know, it, again, if you know anything about these stories, you know what happens to each of the characters that is involved. The only exception being Goldbug, because Goldbug is not a horror story, um, which more falls in line with the okay. main character, Tell... Tamerlane. Tamerlane, thank you, and uh, William Wilson. So it's like, otherwise, what happens to each of the characters? Well, the title tells you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's also two people I wanted to mention. One, me being the Star Wars nerd that I am, was so very happy to see him. The great Mark Hamill playing the family's lawyer, Arthur Pym. And he is, I thought, astonishing I, in this. That was actually a disappointment for me because I, really? I freaking love Mark Hamill. I'm coming, but I'm coming at it from a, this is the Joker standpoint because that's his other major famous role. And Mark Hamill sure. is so oh, sure. good at being over the top evil. The fact that Arthur Pym was so stoic, he barely spoke, which as a voice actor, I'm like, Marky, I want to listen to your words. Um, and the words that he did were so gravelly and rough, it made me uncomfortable. And I don't know whether that was the intent, but it's just like the fact that he was so confined and me knowing that he conceived so big and so chaotically evil it's like, I want to see Arthur Pym be more like the Joker. So I don't know whether that was like just my expectations or whether or not that was an issue I had with the character. But it's just like, I wanted more of Hamill because I love him so much. <laughs> and that's fair. I mean, we all want more of Hamill. Well, true. I did think it was it was great to see him, you know, playing the Joker alongside uh, Bruce Greenwood, who has played the voice of Batman. Uh, <laughs> but... I did think it was awesome actually seeing him play a very confined character. I did think that that gravelly voice was very intentional because he's not just the lawyer. He's essentially the family. He's the fix. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's right. like he is the guy who you're kind of like underneath the stoicism. There's somebody who's extremely dangerous. And as a result, you never know what he's going to do. You never quite see him coming or what move he's going to pull. So that worked for me. But yeah, the other person that I loved and kind of just, I mean, I love her and everything she does, but here she just, blew me away was Carla Gugino playing not going to say what or who she is or what her character is supposed to be but she's playing many roles in one and I oh is that, that Verna she just nailed it Verna yeah just <laughs> yes, nailed it yeah. with every single one of them I was like she was clearly having the time she of was my favorite too I freaking loved Verna and I loved how Verna was utilized through each of the episodes she was fantastic Verna, is that an anagram for something? I don't yeah. know. It might be. Mm -mm. Hashtag Poe. So, <laughs> so Verna, uh, Verna interacts with everybody, <laughs> all the children, every single person in the house of Usher. Yeah, and the and adults. our fixer, our fixer Arthur Pym sees her as a lead as to figuring out what's happening to all the ushers. I'll just say I liked Arthur Pym. I like the restrained work that Mark Hamill does, mostly because I haven't seen it before. So we have our ushers. They're dying left and right. 
This causes our dear friend Roderick Usher to kind of reflect on his life. This is a story within a story within a story that has stories within those well, stories. Well, that is also the formula of the fall of the House of Usher, which is an unnamed narrator, which is common for Poe's work, although in this time mm-hmm. it's Dup- Dupin. Uh, Dupont. Dupont. I never know how to pronounce his name. Uh, the detective from the murders in the Rue Morgue um, uh, talks to, goes to Usher's house and talks to Roderick Usher about what's going on. And that is the setup for the story and it's the setup for the, the show as well. Mm-hmm. And did you... Uh, just to quickly say, one of my favorite nitpicks that I'm always like, well, how would they know if they weren't there in the room, how the story went? This series answers that question, and it gave me the chills mm-hmm. the way it answers it. So bravo to that, I wanted to say. Absolutely. Uh, you were saying, Melina. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know that I keep going off on a tangent. That's just because with, with all of my planning it. and stuff, I just have you know, I had so much fun with this. There's so many layers to it. And having watched it twice, you know, we were talking before about how you've almost seen it twice at this point, having gone back and seen it again and being able to reframe everything that I had seen before, knowing what ultimately was going on, you Mm -hmm. pick up on so much more the second time around. And it just shows you what a master storyteller Mike Flanagan is. Uh, And one thing that, yeah, we have not really mentioned as with, the rest of what he's done prior to this is including especially his shows this is primarily horror and i've got to say that this probably has some of the most effective jump scares i've seen from him since uh the haunting of hill house no spoilers to anyone who hasn't seen it uh but also i've got to say i think that this might be the funniest show he's ever done cuz yeah, for the most I, agree. Part, I was like this show's fucking hilarious some of the dialogues and comedic timing are spot on. And so much of there's a famous quote that the character Garnet says in Steven Universe, something I watch all the time with my kids. All comedy is derived from fear. And she, the way that the actress says that, I'm like, that's a beautiful quote. I think Flanagan is spot on with that quote in this story, especially. Going back to the jump scares, though, that was one of the big things I did not like about this show. And, really? Yeah. Because the thing about Poe, and the and conversely also, you know, one of his contemporaries like Lovecraft, for example, is that Poe is about creeping dread. He is about the gradual un uh, the the gradual descent into madness, the gradual thing that you thought you had dealt with coming behind to creep up on you to take your soul or or you know mental whatever it is it's not jump scare none of it none of what he does i mean i at best you know like the fall of the house of usher the end of that you might be able to say okay maybe that's kind of a jump scare but the narrator runs out of the room before that happens so it's like the fact that and and it actually became rather formulaic in a while for a while because most of the jump scares happened in the house of usher during these uh interview snippets so it's like okay it's back here you get a jump scare and it's just like jump scares are not poe 
And so putting them in was like, this is about Poe. Poe is creeping dread. Make it creepy. Make it eerie. But it's not, ah, monster! That's not Poe. I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, that's the yeah, same reason that I love to read Poe, especially this time of year in the dark with some candles going, is that foreboding sense of dread. I mean, Mike Flanagan is one of my favorite directors because he, for the most part, instills in me that same feeling. But he will occasionally go for the jump scare, and that is because he's using visual media, unlike uh, the printed form, which, of course, Poe was. Uh, what I ultimately cared about was not is he going to do jump scares because he he does them in every single one of his works and that's the style that he's bringing to his own adaptation what matters to me is are the jump scares effective are they fake outs are they cheap here i didn't find a single one to be cheap i was like the way that they were timed i thought was brilliant even the second time i watched it i had forgotten some of them and he knows how to throw you off and instill in you a sense of safety so that when he drops it on you it will literally throw you back in your seat and every single one of them did that for me especially because i watched it with the volume cranked pretty loud (laughs) (laughs) and i will say the jump scares were used narratively and i do appreciate that but again i was like Come on, man. This is Poe. <laughs> so Roderick Usher's thinking about his life, which means we get flashbacks. Young Roderick by Zach Gifford. And uh, Roderick's sister, Madeline Usher. Older is Mary McDonnell. And young Madeline Usher is... Willa Fitzgerald. Willa Fitzgerald. Before we get into our final thoughts, I think a huge part of the sell of Does This Work is young Roderick and young Madeline becoming their older selves. Did that work for either of you two? For me, I'm going to say yes. And I actually liked that journey a lot, but I've been hearing, hearing conflicting things on the internet, but how do you two feel? I loved watching their journey. I mean, we get to see them from the time that they're young kids. They reca- I mean, it's like we get to see them through various stages of their life. And I thought all of the actors across all of those stages did a fantastic job. You do see what made these people the hardened corporal like the hardened corporate drones that they have now become and i've got to say yeah uh zach guilford i loved him in midnight mass i thought he was phenomenal in that and i think he's great here but the star of the two of them is willa fitzgerald which if i'm not mistaken this is the first time she has been this is the first time she's worked with mike flanagan And she gives Samantha Sloyan for me a run for her money in terms of just how much you can make me despise a character while being in awe of the actor's performance at the same time. I thought she was just, I thought she was astonishing. I loved watching her. Every time she spoke, it just turned my spine to splintered glass. Just thinking, I hate this woman, (laughs) but I love this actor. Yeah, it's a great performance. How about you, Mindy? I appreciated it as much as I appreciated the stories of the children, because it was necessary to see that backstory and see the see the descent. And some one thing that you know we haven't talked about is Annabelle Lee, which is Roderick's wife, and how she was essentially his moral compass, um, and how she essentially got sidelined, but. Um, 
I did think that the turning point was somewhat abrupt. It's like, wow, that, I, I mean, I get that it is absolutely Poe, but I, it didn't, the extreme nature of the, the nail in the coffin moment was a little bit too abrupt in regards to how it was established. It's, it's like, but, but again, it, it was also very Poe. So I don't know how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I do wish that Dupont had had a bit more to do in those flashbacks. I, but at the same time, it's like, I know this is Roderick's story. So I don't know how much extra time to give Dupont because, you know, Ag- Auguste Dupont, and I'm so sorry, I'm butchering this name. You know, he was the first detective story, Murders in the Remark, first detective story. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle blatantly stole the formula from uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And I wish I could have gotten to see him be more of a detective as an homage to that. But again, I'd also acknowledge this is Usher's story, and I don't know how much light should be taken away from Usher to highlight that. But yeah, but... Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to... I was just going to say, like, uh, in this, I don't even think he actually played a detective. I think he was a lawyer. He was, like, an insh- a fraud. Um, he, he investigated, like, fraud. Yeah, he has a long, illustrious career that kind of changes as he grows older. Yeah. Since he's in three of the, he's in two of the three flashback timelines that we investigate, I believe. But I do agree with you. I do kind of wish that we had gotten maybe to see a bit of his home life because it's alluded to so much. Like it's referenced a lot of the time. And, and it like, sounds hot too. Like he's very happy with his home life. Yeah. That was actually one of the things that it was like, it felt kind of forced is, and you know, when you're going with like queer representation, I thought that when it came to a Victorine's relationship and having that queer relationship, I thought that was presented very naturally with Dupont, it was much more just like, oh, by the way, I'm gay too. We and it's just like that. It it felt a bit more forced with My him. Husband off screen and out of sight, out of mind, always tells me. Yeah, that. and it's just like I I yeah. wish that had been a little smoother and that had been eased into a little bit more because it did feel a little forced with him. So yeah, like a bit more more molding of Dupont as a as a person. And as a detective would have been nice. But again, I don't know how much attention to give him because it would mean taking away from Usher's story. So, yeah, it is one of those where you're kind of like, I want more of this, but did I need more? Exactly. And, and, but yeah, but like other than like the, the final flip, which felt a little too extreme. um, But again, Poe. It was so over the top. I I loved it. Oh yeah. I, I I respect how people react to it in their own way. I'm not going to defend it or attack it. I was so happy and clapping. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyways. If I'm thinking of the same thing, I was like, I was a fan. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, it's like, uh, and and how that connected to Verna coming in. So it's like you you absolutely mm-hmm. needed those flashbacks and they absolutely helped tell this very much supported the telling of the story. They're just bits that that could have done more but n- not exactly sure how they how they would help kind of thing. Yeah, could have been a little smoother. Exactly. Yeah. I will say, Still good yeah, but could but a little rough. Yeah. yeah. 
Right, yeah, it's like, yeah, that, maybe that could have done, like, like one more script rewrite would have made right. this perfect. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, just tiny, tiny little thing to add on there. Love seeing Mary McDonnell, because it is, it, like, do not see <laughs> her enough. And I thought she was so delightfully evil. <laughs> <laughs> Let's carry that in to our final thoughts. Uh, Melina, I don't think I usually ask you to start first. And uh, Melina is with us. I, I didn't introduce any of you. You didn't, no. So, Mel- <laughs> no. If you don't know us by now. <laughs> yeah. So your final thoughts, please. Uh, well, I don't think it's any secret. I love Mike Flanagan. I am a massive fan of his. And I had a complete blast with this. I thought it was so much fun. It is everything from the time that I heard that this was in pre-production, everything I hoped it would be. I think it is a beautiful tribute to Poe. I think that it is some of the best acting that I've seen from already, you know, great veteran actors like Bruce Greenwood, Carl Lumbly, Carla Gugino. I mean, everybody in here does such an amazing job. But those three, I'm like, these are powerhouse performances from the three of them, especially from Greenwood, who was not even originally supposed to be in this. Uh, yeah, he was recast. I will not go into the backstory of that, but he did such an incredible job. He carries this so effortlessly and I have, I've watched this twice and I encourage everyone who watches it the first time and likes it to do the same because you will find, you will find so much more. You'll pick up on a lot of other references and everything that you didn't catch before will fall into place in the best way possible. Uh, it made me want to grab my giant tome of Edgar Allan Poe stories and read it from cover to cover. And I could talk about this all night, but for the sake of trying to make this an easy edit for Brad, I am going to go ahead and wrap it up and give this a very uh, easy nine out of nine inch nails. Oh, I like that. Mindy. I rather enjoyed this as... I don't know, like, really any of Flanagan's work other than names. This is literally the first thing of his that I've seen. And so I was coming at it from a place of how does this honor Poe? And I think it does that really well. The way that the stories are constructed and the way that they tell the story of Poe's work in a modern context and modern interpretations, I thought was both interesting and also both honored the source material, which was really important to me. I will say I wish there had been more of Poe's poetry, because I think Poe at his best is as a poet. And it's only alluded to a couple times, which made me sad because his lyricism is so beautiful. And, <clears throat> but otherwise, like the way that the characters are interwoven with each other and the way the stories all interweave with each other is very well done. Um, as I said, being both unique and interesting, but also true to its source material. There are a couple things that could have been smoothed out a little bit but all in all it is a very solid work one of the biggest complaints i will say that i've seen is the monologuing going back to the dad joke at the beginning but it's like dude that's freaking poe if you don't like that you don't like poe and 
that's fair, but this is Poe. So deal with it. So I am going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 chimpanzees that should have been orangutans. <laughs> I'm not going to get over that. You have so many freaking Easter eggs to so many things. You have references to stories that I didn't even know before and therefore went and listened to book on tape. You have a reference to a story where Poe isn't even credited. It's only listed that it was written by a Bostonian and people had to figure it out later. And yet they're chimpanzees and not orangutans. How dare you? <laughs> I don't want to be scared of orangutans the same way that I'm scared of chimps. So I was like, thank you. Thank you. So for me, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was surprisingly a lot of fun. All the uh, victims are horrible, terrible people. Flanagan has covered so much on the beauty of loving other people and being loved, especially in times of great tragedy and grief and in the face of your end this was such a wild swing for him like i feel like he woke up one day like thinking how do shitty people who don't deserve sympathy <laughs> grieve and he wrote this so i'm gonna give this one eight out of ten there are more movies than the departed fathers and other fathers out there but not as good as that one <laughs> 